All right, everybody's last few are making their way back in. Okay. Well, God bless you. Good morning. Good to see you all. It's with the great privilege I get to say, open your Bible as we're beginning now in the book of Philippians. Open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Praise the Lord. I love, love that. I love the timing of that. I was sharing with first service, you know, I'm always encouraged by the fact that God continues to bring us through different books as we go line by line and verse by verse. Some of you may be new to Calvary Chapel, and you may not know that we don't have a calendar. We don't kind of plot out where we're going to be. It's all Holy Spirit and where he directs us for the times we're in. And so um, as we go line by line and verse by verse, you just never know where God's going to have us in what book at what time. And it just happens to be uh, in the book of Philippians. And I, I don't think there's any coincidence to, to this just the days we're living and the evil and the different things that we're seeing. And, and, and we need words of encouragement. We need these ideas of coming together in unity. And I am just incredibly blessed by how God went before us because I know that, and I don't know, if you've been walking with the Lord for more than a year or you know, a couple of years, you've already experienced this. I'm, I'm telling you what you already know. As God uses the word to speak to us individually and corporately as a church body, it's amazing. He's, things that happen to be going on in our lives, things that we're, and we're reading the word of God, and it's, it just, the word jumps off the page and the experience we're having and things that are happening. And then, and then even in things that are going around in the culture or things around us, and God just happens to be bringing us through that book, and he gives us application and understanding and I don't think there's a coincidence, again, that we're in this book of Philippians. It, we need a solid word for the days that we're living. You know, I, I always begin the introduction. We'll probably get through one verse today. Uh, because as we introduce a new book, I want everybody to understand God has created us intelligent and to study the word of God intelligently. So we take time to go through each book. We look through context. We're going to look in the book of Acts. We're going to really give a firm foundation to why we believe what we believe and how we study this particular book. And so with that, how many people are aware of where Philippi got its name? As, as we know, this will be one of the first churches that will be planted in all of Europe by the Apostle Paul, by the Lord, but through the Apostle Paul. So I think it's worth noting that this is a clearly a Greek city. Um, it's northwest of a nearby island called Thassos, if you're familiar with that. Its original name was Crenides, if I'm pronouncing that right, and it's so cool. You know what it meant? The fountain. What a name, right? The fountain, is, especially as you're near a body of water and just the picture of this area. Formerly, Crenides was actually the capital of Macedonia, so I just want you to think about that. We're talking about a capital. Well, boy, that should ring familiar to you and I. We're in the capital of what? Pennsylvania and Harrisburg. And I thought, oh, isn't that interesting? And it stood near the sea about eight miles northwest of Kavala. If you know where Kavala is on a map, you can find it. It's eight miles sort of northwest. Philip of Macedonia fortified the old Thracian town of Crinides and called it after his known name, Philip, Philippi, right? He did that in 359 to 336 BC. 
It's at that time that, well, later after that, Emperor Augustus came in uh, and formed it as a Roman colony. This is very important and very significant. We watch world leaders come in and come out all by the hand of God, every one of them. Even if they're perpetrating evil, God is allowing it, but they come in and out of history that way. And here we had uh, Emperor Augustus who decided to make this a Roman colony. They took more after some of the Roman culture and laws than they did of their own Greek culture in their own, you know, where they grew up and, and where they were established. And I think that's significant because as we've studied in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, we know that Israel has been under the oppression and affliction of nations or sovereign nations for a long time. As a matter of fact, the last one that we saw that was on the scene was what? The very country and colony we're talking about now, Rome. And so it's no coincidence that the gospel is moved from uh, what we would say in the Middle East, obviously that even that area of modern day Asia Minor, Turkey, now all the way as far west as Europe. And then from Europe, it will continue to go further west. Where? To the Americas. And from the Americas to you and I, right? It's amazing to watch how the gospel of Jesus Christ, and oh, by the way, under intense persecution, under intense affliction, right? It's the time we see the church multiply the most. If you're, if you're a Berean and you go back and study history, every single time the church has been heavily weighted down with oppression and affliction, whether it's been tried to snuffed out by an emperor or by a king or by a president or whoever, we have watched the church multiply and multiply. And that's what we're seeing even here. As you look around, we have a few open seats. First service is pretty full. Second service is full. And we don't even have half our normal folks back. As you, most of you know, you're still watching online. We've been praying, Lord, give us land. So I know that's a strange prayer. We're in these last of the last days. You're seeing the same things going on. And many churches are, and we're praying, Lord, we need more land. We, we, need to, we need more ability to teach more of the word of God and more people to come in and get saved and hear the word and be encouraged. God's still moving today. So if you know anybody who's got 10 acres, let us know. You know, we'll buy it from them. We're just, you know. But we've been praying about that. God to go before us and show us what we have because we're, we're outgrowing this building, not to mention even the school and everything the Lord's doing with the Christian school, watching it double and triple. And, and it's just the beginning because God always provides a way and he always provides a remnant. So as we're looking at this, um, clearly this was a Roman colony. How many people know when I use the word Roman colony what that really means? It's the idea of a Roman settlement, okay? That means that they would turn around and settle an area after they had conquered it. They would then establish a military in that area, and then they would enforce all of Roman law. Regardless of where it was, all of Roman law had to be adhered to. So this is what we're talking about that happened in Macedonia here. And this was used as a way of controlling uh, the district that was recently conquered, Many people referred to this at that time as a mini or miniature Rome, okay? And municipal law of Rome was governed by the military officers. As I mentioned already, this is the first place we'll see a church in the West planted. Now, this is near and dear to my heart because it wasn't too long ago, six years. Some of you remember in the beginning you were with us. As I was reading this and preparing and saying, Lord, you know, I remember many times I've read through Philippians as you have. But I've actually watched the Lord do this as an action sermon in our lives. You all here are part of this. You may be saying, Pastor, I'm not tracking. Well, it was about six years ago. 
I was living in Rochester, New York. I was part of Calvary Chapel, Finger Lakes. Many of you know that. My pastor, Scott Gallatin, up there. Very large Calvary Chapel, a few thousand. And um, we were very content, my wife and I. Lisa and I were very content. We loved the Lord. We loved serving in the church and everything we were doing. We were very happy and content. Many of you also know I, I used to work for Microsoft. So I used to travel three and four hours for a one-hour meeting. Some of you have heard this story before. Well, it was... One night, as I was going to bed, and um, I had just gone to Albany that day, that's the capital in, in New York, and I had just traveled about four hours to go to the capital, and I was driving back. I had a meeting with the governor's office that day, and so I was coming back, and you know, I was tired, but I'd driven four hours in, four hours out, and I was sitting back, I went to bed, and you know, put the kids to bed, and we, we were down for the night. It was about one or two o'clock in the morning where the Lord woke me up, and I'll never forget it. He burned my heart. And he said, you'll drive four hours for a one-hour meeting, but you won't drive four hours to feed my sheep. And I was wrecked. Like, I was, I'll never be the same. When God spoke into my life that way with that burden, I'll never, ever be the same, and I'll never, ever forget it. And I thought, Lord, I don't know anybody there. I don't know anybody in Harrisburg. And it just happened to be a buddy I was praying with about some of the things he was going to do. He's from 19th Street in Harrisburg. He had grew up here. This is his life. And, you know, to go in and, and, and to you know, start a Bible study. And so here I'm praying for him because I'm like, Lord, this is, this, this is the guy. This is the guy. He lives there. Well, needless to say, some of you in the beginning, I can think, you know, in first service, a handful of us were in the beginning when we were meeting at Prosser Hall. An old, well, not terribly old. It's a nice building today, but next to a police station. And we'd set out the chairs I didn't even advertise. I think we handed out some uh, things. I, I remember our brother Mark was with us, different people, you know, hope, different people. We'd hand out brochures, come on out, you know, different things. But we really didn't advertise. And I remember Pastor Tony up, up in Finger Lakes says, how are people going to find out about the Bible? So are you going to write it in the, is God going to write it on the clouds in the air? How are people going to know? And I said, I need to know this of the Lord. It's not a work of man. We have enough works of men. We don't need another one. I need to know this is a work of the Lord. And so I remember looking at my wife, and she says, well, you did say you're content. I'll start packing. And I'm thinking, what? And so we started taking for eight months. We drove four hours each way, and on Wednesday, we just drive down. We teach a Bible study for an hour, well, probably more like an hour and a half. You guys know I get going. And so we would turn around, and we'd come back and either sleep in the car or something, and the kids would just pack them in, and we'd figure it out and bring food, and that's what we did. We did that for eight months. And we watched the Lord add. And then we ended up at a place called Railroad Avenue. It was a hardware store. We all got together. We held hands in there in a circle and we prayed. I said, Lord, if this is you again, you're going to have to go before us. And he did. Until we couldn't fit any more people in there. We even had people sitting outside in like a lobby just watching a TV while I was in the other room. And I thought, Lord, this is not good. I want everybody to come in. I want everybody to be part of the fellowship and be part of the word. This is amazing. And then the Lord brought us here. And we thought, oh, man, we could fit 207. We'll, we'll be good. We'll, we've got a few years. Yeah, yeah. And now the Lord's moving on our heart. God is God done with the work in this city. And he's been continuing to give us that word through our, just our praise and worship time on Sundays. And So when, when we look at this book, this isn't just something in history that we're reading about as though it was a once and done. God is doing this. The work of Philippians, the work of encouragement, the work of planting, the work of growing a church, and you all are part of it today. Every one of you that are here, whether you even knew about it or not, God drew you here for such a time as this. 
So as we continue looking here, and, and I mentioned that, you know, there was Roman law. There's things going on in the United States of America right now, laws that we may not agree with. Maybe some we do. But each letter that was sent by the Apostle Paul, it was a big deal because they all believed that it was the word of God. It isn't today where some Christians might say, I don't know, is it the word? No, no, no. In the first century, everybody knew that God spoke through his word and that this was God-breathed. And people would die just to have it into their hands, into their hearts. They were willing to give their life for it. For what we sometimes even take for granted today, they were willing to die for this because they needed it. That was the hope. And so a letter would be inspired by the Holy Spirit. It would be given. They would come. People would gather. And they couldn't wait to hear this epistle, this letter read, this word of encouragement that the Holy Spirit had given them in Philippi, where there were no other churches that were teaching sound doctrine or the word of God at that point, because it was the first church plan of Christianity, right? There wasn't even a synagogue established there. Pastor, how do you know that? We'll read verse 1, and I'll help you understand how we've come to that conclusion, that there wasn't even a synagogue. We can read Acts, as a matter of fact, as well. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 16 in a moment. And we'll see that as well to know there was no synagogue establishment. So they would read it together. You know, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, each directed to a specific church. Now, this is what's called the prison epistles. Why is it called a prison epistles? Because literally, Paul was in prison, just like we finished the book of Ephesians, and he wrote it from Rome while under house arrest. This is exactly what happened with the book of Philippians. Same with Colossians. And as I mentioned, same with Philemon. Each one addressed to a specific church for what the Lord had to speak to that church, as well as an individual with Philemon. Why would we think it's, not, it's any different today? He is speaking to us here. We, we need to take the, the gravity of that in this morning. That he, through his word, is speaking to every one of us here through this book in love through an instruction manual. And God says so because he said he's given us his word that we wouldn't have to do what? That we wouldn't be veering, that we wouldn't walk around hopeless or without direction. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, our Savior, has always pointed us to the Father. And he redeemed us so we could be reconciled to God. Why do we think when he would give us the inspired word of God that it wouldn't be transformative into our lives? But we've, I fear, many today gone cavalier to the word of God, not recognizing that it, it's unlike anything else that you've ever held in your hand. So, through direct revelation, he penned this specific to a needs of a first century church with a message influential and instructional for the Christian life today. And that's exactly what he's done for you and I. Now, if I can give you a brief summary here, um, the book is about Christ in our life. If you're taking notes, you should have received an outline. You should have that in your hand. You can take notes on that if you need to. Uh, some of this is in that. Some of it is not. But... He's given us this so that we would see Christ in our life, Christ in our mind, certainly. Christ as our goal, right? That's what our life is about. Christ as our strength and joy through suffering. That's what we will learn about 
in the book of Philippians. And if you've sat through a C teaching before, praise God, we all need this required course again. It's foundational to our walk. And you'll see why as I go through this introduction, because there's so many significant things that are in this book that are not in any other epistle by Paul, specifically given. And again, there's no coincidence why he's given this to us today. As I already mentioned, this was written while Paul was in prison, Roman, under Roman guard, right? Two guards uh, basically chained to him on either side under house arrest. It was about 30 years after Christ's ascension, just to nail on timeline, and about 10 years after he had first visited Philippi on his second missionary journey, okay? So just kind of grounding us in which had happened, you know, the timing of what happened. Paul was Nero's prisoner, yet if there's one word you walk away with in this book, it's the word triumph. It's the word victor. It's the word overcomer. That's what we will learn from the book of Philippians. We are to triumph. Look at how many times, just taking notes, how many times you see the word joy? How many times you see the word rejoice? It appears so frequently in this book. I'll just go through a few for you. Chapter 1. Just chapter 1 alone, you have your book open to Philippians. Just look down. Verse 4, verse 18, verse 25, verse 26, chapter 2, verse 2, verse 28, chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, verses 1. Chapter 4, verse 4 and 10. He's telling them over and over again through intense persecution and affliction, be joyful and rejoice. We need that word today. I don't know how much more intense the affliction will be before we are raptured out of here, but it is coming. We must be prepared for it, and we must know what to do in it. We were called to stand. He left us in Ephesians chapter 6, where he told us to stand with the armor of God placed upon us. And in these last of the last days, He's now telling us that we rejoice and find joy in it. And Paul was given to us an example of that. His very life as he was handcuffed in the writing of this. So we're without excuse that way. And it's a good word for us today. Philippians is also one of Paul's most personal letters out of any of the letters he's written for us. It's got several personal applications, and it's got several personal applications for the believers, you and I, today. Paul exhorts the Philippians to follow his example. For example, Philippians chapter 1, verse 14, please look. He says what? He says, Be encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. That was the encouragement he's given us today during times of persecution right? Speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly, fearlessly than you ever have in your life. Pray the Holy Spirit gives you that boldness. You know, all of us as Christians, one time or another, we have experienced trial, haven't we? We've experienced heartache. Nobody here has arrived. We shouldn't pretend. Nobody's here has arrived. Every one of us has had sorrow, difficulty, anxiety, or overwhelmness. Every one of us here. And all through it, God's faithfulness reigns. His faithfulness reigns. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. 
even when we feel at times as though we're alone. When we are with Jesus, we are a multitude. Thank God it's not relying on my emotions or my feelings. My emotions betray me. My feelings betray me. Maybe yours betray you. Paul is warning us and telling us, no, you be encouraged to speak the word. You speak it of God and you speak it more fearlessly than you ever have, more courageously than you ever have. Because in these days, in these times of persecution, that's where darkness so permeates and yet the light can be seen so clear. You can't miss it. You take a dark room and you take a bright light and you shine the light in that room and it blinds you. Think of waking up at four or five in the morning, as some of you do, and, I, and the light comes in, and, you know, or my wife, or I open the blinds, and it's, whoa, right? Think of your young people, right? Our teens in our college, right? You go in the room, it's 10 o'clock, and they're still in bed, rolling over for the fourth time. And what do you do if you even let them sleep in that long? What do you do? You go in the room. No, you don't douse them with water. You're thinking that low. No, don't do that. What do you do? You open the window, and they're like, the light, as though they're going to melt. <sighs> light always permeates darkness. It cannot coexist. Paul is making that very clear, that we, in these days, you are here and born for this time. To live in the days such as this. No other greater time to be alive than the day you're living. We may certainly get to see the rapture in our time. That may happen. But to be so evident in the life of people, to invest in others in such a time of darkness, to be given such a mission by Christ, not to be wasted with our own you know, material endeavors, but to, tr to trust Christ to believe in him crucified, and to be all in. There's never, ever been a greater time to be alive. I'm excited. I'm excited because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And that's what I love about this book. And he's given this word to us this morning. He's given this word to us over these next weeks and months. This is what we're to expect. I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming, but for him to give us this word, he needs us to be grounded. He needs us to understand individually and corporately. Whatever's going to happen, we must count it a joy, as James would say. We must rejoice in our situation because God is holy and we are holy and set apart. It's unique. To be holy is unique. It's a set apart calling for you and I. And he's given us this book of Philippians to remind us of that, regardless of our circumstances and our persecution and affliction. Look at John chapter 15, verse 18. Please be reminded of this. In the days when you are facing extraordinary times, even today, where you feel, um, you feel in some ways as though people are saying that we're hating others or judging others, and yet we feel the most judged. Because we want to love people and care for them and protect them. And yet, to some, we're mortal enemies. And it's not understandable. Jesus said that the word, world excuse me, hated him. And it would hate his followers as well. I, I have this underlined and, and highlighted in my scripture. I, I make notes to it. I, every day I must be reminded of that when I go and I speak to people of the love of Jesus Christ. And people say, you're a Jesus freak. 
And I say, of course I am, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about you and how Jesus loved you and how he died on a cross so that you would be forgiven. And even if you were the only human being alive, nothing would have changed because he loves you more than you even love yourself. And that's saying a lot today. But often we are rejected. Often we are dismissed. Sometimes it's not even what you say, it's what you don't say. Sometimes it's just the very presence of you in a room with the Holy Spirit indwelling in you and your cohort or people you're working with in a class, a teacher, you know, they just, they look upon you as though you're something different. There is, you're unique because you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're not like any other human. You're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. We ought to behave that way, and we ought to be encouraged by that, not apologize for it. So we see that. Paul exhorts them, Philippians. Jesus said, again, the world hated them, him and others. Paul also exhorts us to persevere in the face of persecution. Specifically, if you look at chapter 1, verse 27, what's he tell us? Stand firm. Isn't that interesting again? You think that's coincidence? He just spoke to, as we've just been through the book of Ephesians, stand, stand, stand over again. You know, withstand. He's telling us, he's preparing us for what is coming. Stand, 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 withstand. And then now he also tells us, stand firm. But he tells us something too. He says, in one spirit. He describes the unity here as one man for the faith of the gospel. Do you see that? that that's our calling in election. Another principle that he, t- he shares with us, it's the idea of united humility. That's what we're also going to learn in Philippians. We are united with Christ and we need to Stay united to one another in the same. You know what I love about the family of God? I know there's different services, and some of you may not know folks in first service, and first service may not know folks in second service, and I, I get all that, and we have a whole folks online, and you know, I, I understand all that, and there's people that I listen. I mean, we have a radio ministry. We get calls during the week, and the secretaries do such a great job answering the calls. But, I mean, we have people in Hawaii because the, the, oh, we're on Hope FM. Part of what you all are part of here, the ministry that you're, you're equipping saints for the work of ministry, isn't just what we do here, but the word of God that's being taught every day on the radio. And we, we are behind that. The teaching goes forth. We're all the way through Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Maryland. And, and the word of God's going forward all the way. Like I said, even Hawaii, people call up and say, oh, we heard this word today. We're so encouraged. I think sometimes it's a you know, half an hour, hour conversation with somebody that at that moment, they might even be thinking of taking their lives, but they heard a word. Coincidentally, we know better than that. And that day, God met them, and they want to learn more about Jesus, but they've been religion, you know, religiousized out of their mind. They don't want any more religion, and we don't want them to have religion. We don't have relationship. And they call and they talk and they say, thank you, God bless you, God bless the people there, all the people that, how they make this all possible. All of you, through your your generosity, through your prayers, through your offerings, through everything that happens. You, You have no idea when we get to heaven, the amount of people that will look to you, Jesus will, well done. What are you talking about? I didn't know you. Yes, you did. When you prayed, yes, you did. 
when you turn around and support it. You know, when we had that lockdown, you, you remember Ecuador? We had a family from Ecuador in the church, and they had family over there, and they had a way to get the money in, not to the government, but to the people that had a real need, the people that were starving and being left to starve. And we got word of it, and we couldn't let it happen. So we sent, I can't remember how many thousands, we got food over there. You did that. And we got food into their hands, people, pictures. We have it with food for four to six months. And they were able to eat and they were able to get the gospel. And they, don't, they, they say, I don't know the people in Harrisburg, but God bless you, God bless you. Those people must be amazing Christians. What? We're broken, man. We're living one day at a time. We just love Jesus. That's all we know how to do. Jesus and him crucified. We didn't stand up and beat our, you never heard us stand up and beat our chest, did we? Oh, look what we do. You know, we don't draw attention to ourselves. No. It's the book of Philippians and we're going to read. They were a generous, generous church that loved each other and loved those in need. They took the word of God seriously. This is one of the only books by Paul, one other possibly, Colossians, but one of the only books by Paul where there's no corrective. It's not like Corinthians where he had to come back and say there's sin in the church and why are you dividing? And it's not like Galatians where there's Judaizing going on and he's fighting back and forth with the legalists and telling them, don't, you know, like who's arrived? Philippians is such a unique book in that way. He's not defending his apostleship. Right in the beginning, he doesn't start like every other book where he, he's got to come out. I, Paul, what? Not only a bondservant, but an apostle. Why? Why do you think he didn't need to do that in Philippians? Because they had reverential respect for their under shepherds, for their pastor. For, because they loved him. Because God knit the hearts of the people to the pastor and the pastor to the hearts of the people. And that's what it looks like. That's the difference between a teacher. Anybody can go to seminary. Anybody can graduate with a teaching degree. But that doesn't make you an under-shepherd. What makes you an under-shepherd is that you love the people and are willing to teach them the word of the God and get out of the way. That's the difference. It's no coincidence that Zechariah, I think it's chapter 11, you be Bereans, it might be 12, but I believe it's 11, that says in the last days that many of pastors are going to do what? They're going to run. They're going to scatter because it's no longer about them. It breaks my heart. I, I pray you'll pray with me on these things because there's men, good men, that are, are being led to something away from what God has teached in the word. And they're, they're so worried about how to keep their, their church healthy and, and, and they, they want to create programs or multimedia and all this. Other. And it's like just re Acts 2.42. Read the word of God and God will add to the church daily. There is no program. There is no model. It's Jesus. And when the word of God is taught, he will draw people. You all are living testimonies of that. I didn't know any of you before the Lord brought you here. I didn't have to turn around and market to you. I didn't have to turn around and persuade you. You came in the first time. You heard the word of God. Praise the Lord. Every one of us got out of the way, and you might have got a hug or a word of encouragement because many of you came in and your first time you broke down, whether it was privately in the prayer room or whether you came in and the Lord was just cutting your heart and you'd been through a lot 
and you finally found a place you could call home where you realize that Jesus is the shepherd of the church and always has been, and it can never be a man. A man will always disappoint you. And the other thing you learned is you weren't alone. That when you struggled through things, you had people come up and put their arms around you and say, I love you, and we'll go through it together. I think of Keith right now, Foster. Many of you know him. He usually comes to second service. He sits right over there. He just got out of his triple bypass surgery. Praise God he's doing well. He's seated up. He's probably listening to this right now. Keith, we love you if you're hearing this. But he's, he's sitting up in his seat. After just going through that major surgery, praise God. And we're praying for him, and we won't stop. He can't be with us at our baptism today, too, but, but he's going to be with us in our heart, isn't he? And then I think of Renee and Bob as they're sitting in the hospital right now. Renee's been given a diagnosis of terminal cancer. You know what my prayer is? That Renee gets up and walks right out of that hospital and that God heals her. And when the doctors go, where are you going? She says, I'm going to play volleyball because my God can heal. Now, if God decides to take her home, okay. Nobody's going to, I mean, that's the better deal. And she's not giving up hope either because she knows we love her and that's not going to change. This is what Philippians is talking about as we'll read through these chapters. This united humility, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one purpose, putting away any conceit, putting away any selfishness. As we read in Philippians 2, chapter 2, excuse me, verses 2 through 4, being humility, considering others better than yourselves, looking out for the interests of others and caring for one another. You know, there would be far less conflict in the church today if we see each person doing this. If other churches were doing this, please pray for other churches. I'm thankful that I get to undershepherd a church where we are literally hanging on the very foundation of Scripture. It's our understanding. It's why we gather, to build each other up and to let the Word of God build us up. And then to go out and to be ministers to a lost and dying world. We don't play church and we don't play Christian. And I love that. And I wouldn't want us to change a thing. When I look through the grid of scripture, and I've said it before, and I look at all of our lives and the different things, some of you I know better than others. But I look at the grid of scripture. There's only one church of the seven that even looks remotely close to what God has done here. And that's the church of Philadelphia. A church of brotherly love. And may I add sisterly love. You know, people come up to me. Some of you guys don't even get to hear this. I wish you did. And they say, you know, Pastor, the Lord has done something really special here. And in, in one way, I'm, I'm grateful to hear that. But in another way, I'm broken because churches are a lot like hospitals. People come in to be healed and to be helped. And the fact that many have shirked that responsibility because they don't look the same or talk the same. Or... We're all imperfect. We've been saved by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Nothing we could have done by ourselves. And I'm so glad that Philippians makes that clear that in humility, consider, consider others better than yourselves. 
That's a great word for us. Another principle that we're going to see proclaimed through the epistle is that what? We are to make our mind steadfast, fixed in Christ, and to rejoice in all things. I'm going to give you five different things he specifically says if you're taking notes that we're to rejoice in, okay? We're to rejoice in Christ and him being proclaimed. Philippians chapter 1 verse 8. Paul, as we're to learn, he rejoiced in his persecution. We're to model that. Philippians chapter 2 verse 18. He rejoices in the Lord. Philippians chapter 3 verse 1. He refers to those in Philippi, his brothers, as the joy and the crown. Do you see his love for his flock that God has called him to? Have you noticed that? I, 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 my wife and I, you know, when, we, when I was in the flock like that and we would travel and go visit another church, Often we would go to, you know, we had Pastor Scott Galton. That was my pastor, and I loved him dearly. And, and we were being taught under the Word of God that way. His father, Pastor Bill Galton, taught first, and then his son. And I, I remember Lisa and I would go visit sometimes if we were vacationing or traveling or something, and we'd sit in another church. And we were blessed by the people in the other church, and we were blessed by the teaching and everything. But I always felt like in my heart there was something that was just a little different and I've heard other people say it. It, it. It's biblical in that, and Paul's going to demonstrate it through Philippians, and that he had a, a, a love for those that God had knit to him. Some of you I've met for the first time, and when I met you, my heart immediately went to you. Like, I, I can't explain it. I love you. I'm willing to die for you. I don't say that in, as conjecture. I don't say that to go through the motions. As God is my witness and everything that I am, I mean what I say. And I can't explain it because I'm a selfish, wretched man. And I don't have that desire within my own flesh to do that. But the Holy Spirit in me has knit me to this body, and I love you more than I love anything else. It's equivocal to what I think of my own children. And I can't explain that other than the supernatural aspect of God. And I believe you all feel that for each other. And you understand exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you, it's been a long time till you've been able to come home to a place where you could walk through the doors and feel and experience that. The best is yet to come. This is nothing compared to what it's going to be like in heaven all together. It's going to be wonderful. So this idea of a joy and a crown. He sums up his exhortation for believers saying, Rejoice in the Lord, always I say, rejoice. Right? Chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. As believers, we can rejoice, right? And experience the peace of God by casting all our cares on the Lord. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Now, let, let's talk about the relationship with the remaining time we have, the foundation, the context that permeates this epistle that we're going to read. Turn, please, with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Now, I, I specifically want to draw your attention here to understand who is this group in Philippi that Paul is talking about, that before, 10 years before he had penned this epistle, if I can use that term, inspired by the Holy Spirit, 10 years ago, he met a group of individuals there and forever changed his life for this 
group of individuals at Philippi, for them and for Paul. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Now, if you look back, I don't know in your Bibles, I like to take notes and I like to sort of organize my Bible. I'm a little, uh, you all know me, I'm a little anal that way. I like to kind of, I love the Word of God and I love to have it all understandably connect. I call it stringing pearls. If you look at Acts, you may remember, and I encourage you if you weren't with us, to go ahead and listen online. You can get it on the, ch the church app, the Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel Harrisburg app that you can get on the app store and all that stuff. Um, or you can listen online or on the radio. I encourage you to hear it. It's important as we went through systematically and line by line through the book of Acts. But if I could, just to explain to you missionary journeys for those that may not have been with us. Paul went on a series of missionary journeys. How many? Some say three, some say four. It depends on how you want to delineate that fourth journey. Beginning at Acts chapter 15, if you just look over and you're making notes in your margins, actually it would be Acts chapter 13, pardon me, all the way through chapter 15, verse 35, that, if I had to sort of ring fence, that makes Paul's first missionary journey. His second missionary journey, which is where we're learning about in context of what Paul's writing about, is Acts chapter 15, verse 36, all the way through Acts chapter 18, verse what? 32, right? Or 22, excuse me. And that's where his second missionary journey begins, and then his third missionary journey begins right after that. Now, it's during his second missionary journey that we'll see, and that's where I've drawn you to Acts chapter 16, that Tom, Timothy, with Paul, Silas, and Luke join the Apostle Paul. You might remember we read about this together, but if you weren't with us, just as a, in a way, I encourage you devotionally to go back and read through this. But during the second missionary journey, we're introduced to these people that is the first church plant in Europe. This is as far west as the gospel's gone at this point. Quite amazing, actually. And if you look, I don't think it's any coincidence that that day he goes in and he finds, well, let me even back up before he even goes in. Where did Paul ultimately want to go to? Do you remember? He wanted to make his way to Ephesus. Ultimately, that's where he wanted to continue to get to. He had a longing to go to Ephesus multiple times. He wanted to even go to Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He wanted to go to that area too. But God was redirecting his steps. God sent him to Europe. Send him to Greece and Macedonia in that area. Can you imagine Paul? He's like, but I, I, Lord, I have a heart for these people here. This is where I want to go. And, and the Holy Spirit's saying, Paul, yes, and you will. But first, I'm sending you to Europe. Because, Paul, what you don't realize is 2,000 years from now, or really 1,500 years from now, for 1,600, I have a group of people that are going to leave England and leave Europe and they're going to go to the Americas. And this country is going to be established. And I want the word of God to go there. And I want this nation to be developed and set up on my Christian foundation. And that these men and women that will grow up in a Judeo-Christian belief, ideology, Christianity as we know it today, the word of God, they're going to be my Bereans. They're going to test things in the light of scripture. And they're going to complete my great commission, Matthew 28, 19, to go therefore. You and I are here today because of this experience in Acts 16. Because Paul was redirected to Europe 
which eventually directed the steps to the Americas, which eventually led to you and I through our forefathers and mothers and grandparents and everybody else that came through that to be faithful, to give us the gospel. I think of men like Billy Graham, okay? I think of men that have gone before us that many of us don't even know their names. A Billy Graham, everybody knows, but what about a Susie Smith that was faithful to feed her grandson or granddaughter a cup of soup, a warm meal, a big hug, and opened her Bible and saw Grandma every day faithfully reading the Word of God. What's that, Grandma? Oh, honey, that's Jesus' Word. This is the only thing that will never deceive you, son or daughter, grandson, granddaughter. And here you are today. I want you to think about the way God has gone before every one of you, sovereign in salvation. We see and learn from Philippians that God and Acts, that God directs that step. Look at verse 6 as he goes through the Macedonian call. That's what it's called, okay? When his steps were directed that way. And it's very interesting how he arrives there, right? It's in these passages that we see and learn of the directing of God's promise to the region of Macedonia. That's where Paul, Timothy, Luke, and Silas met a wealthy woman. You remember her name? Lydia, right? Lydia. Do you remember where Lydia was originally from? Thyatira. Isn't that interesting? One of the churches found in the book of Revelation, one of the seven churches. We don't see Philippians or Philippi, right? But we do see Thyatira. And I wonder who took back that good word back to Thyatira. Could it be Lydia? She was a seller of purple cloth. You may remember that, um, which Thyatira was famous for being the center of the indigo trade. Uh, Lydia apparently had moved to Philippi to apply her trade. Now, what's interesting, and I, I love this, just free information, uh, archaeologists have uncovered and gone through and dug digs in that area in Thyatira, and they found inscriptions relating to a dyer's guild that they had established there. What I love about this is, is they're constantly digging in the Middle East and they're constantly digging in Europe and, and in Turkey and Asia Minor. They're finding all of this evidence, evidence after evidence that every single thing that God speaks in the Word of God is true and that science is simply just catching up. But God's Word has always been accurate. It's the only thing I'll base my life on is the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Everything else you know, we're just learning. We're just understanding. But it's all being revealed right before our eyes. We also read, look at uh, verse 14 in chapter 16. Lydia was a worshiper of God. So this tells us some things. Remember I said as Bereans, we study the word of God. We learn. We, 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 we become, through deduction, we become investigators. We understand things. The Lord speaks to us through these things. So she's a worshiper of God. Now, there's no church there yet. There's no church plant there yet. What does that make her? That makes her Jewish. She had to be a Jew. Because where else, if Paul was the first one that came with the gospel of Christ to Philippi or Macedonia, she must have been there. And oh, by the way, she's a worshiper of God already. She must have been practicing Judaism. 
As a matter of fact, if we continue to read on here, you would find out that she even gathered with a group of ladies by the riverside, right? And what were they doing? They were talking. They were gathering and they were talking about things of the Lord, right? What's that also tell you? That whatever was happening as far as Judaism in Philippi, they didn't have enough men to form a what? A synagogue yet. So this is very early on that even a synagogue wasn't established yet here, okay? So we can see all of this as she's outside this riverside because she's gathering with the women at Sabbath at a place of prayer. And the fact that Paul, Timothy, and Luke, and Silas came to the riverside to speak with these women indicates that, again, there wasn't enough Jewish men to form a synagogue. Otherwise, Paul, like his normal uh, MO or modus operandi, would have gone where? To the synagogue. But he didn't. Isn't that interesting? We start to understand a little bit about why Paul had such a love and a warm, because there was nothing he was undoing. He was only giving the gospel, and they received it willingly. We're getting a picture of Philippi in this church. I like that. You can look at Acts chapter 16, verse 14 again, and we see that Lydia heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the Bible says that God opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And after she believed, Lydia was what? Baptized. Not only her, but her whole family. Now, we have a baptism today at 2 p.m., right? Y'all are coming out. Pray every one of you are there. We're coming out. We'll have a time for baptism. We'll have food and stuff and everything to bless and fellowship. We need that encouragement. School just gathered on Friday night. We had an awesome time. We gathered around a bonfire. The kids had a good time playing games. We had a good time worshiping and praising God and just fellowshipping, building each other up. It was sweet. It was sweet. I was so grateful for what God's doing. He's going to do that for us today, this afternoon, after 2 o'clock. We'll gather for that kind of time. I want you all to be there, please. It's important to invest in each other. This is the body of Christ. And yes, we'll have individually wrapped hamburgers and hot dogs. Yes, we're going to protect you. Yes, yes, yes. But come out and be blessed. So we read about baptism. Now, there's no coincidence that the Lord, on the very day we are having a baptism, that God brings us to a passage in Philippians as we're learning and beginning this, that it's also talking about baptism. No. Now, maybe that's just, again, maybe it is just coincidental. But if we keep reading on, verse 11, and then we go to verse 16, we see an imprisonment of Paul. And after he's in prison, what happens? You know, he forms a choir, right? You know, I'm Joe. He, he and Silas are in prison. They're a cappella, man. They're singing, right? All the prisoners start hearing about it. God receives the worship, and what's he do? Boom, earthquake. Chains are broken. They get up and get out. The, the Philippian jailer is about to do what? Oh, my gosh, because he knows if they get loosed, it's going to be his life. Because please don't forget why I said in the beginning, this was under a Roman colony. Now you know why I'm giving you the historical background, why this is important to the Roman jailer. It's a Roman colony. Anybody found letting a prisoner go under Roman occupation must pay for it with their life. The same thing we see at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ with all the guards present, which is why the religious officials, the Jews, had offered to buy or to cover or protect them if they made up another story about what happened to the body because it would have cost them their own lives. Same thing with this Philippian jailer. Because it's under Roman occupation. So because this is happening, the jailer is getting ready to harm himself. But Paul says, wait a minute. Don't do that. And he leads the jailer to Christ. And then what happens? Him and his whole family, they too get what? Baptized. 
day of baptism. Okay, Lord, we get it. This is what you want us to do no matter what's going on. We're going to do this. And God will bring forward those that are to be baptized. Okay, Lord, check, check. From there, he goes on and they said, well, why don't you just get out of here, run? He says, no. He says, I'll go back in the prison because I don't want there to be any fallout on you. What example does this give us of a pastor that he's willing to lay down his own life to protect that flock or that jailer? Are we willing to lay down each, our lives for one another as commanded by Christ? See, there's a lot to see in this account. These are the people that make up Philippi. These are the Philippians. And therefore, this is the church because the church is not a building. The church is the people of God gathering. These are the Philippians that you're being introduced to. This is the letter that's going to these kind of people, people that love Jesus, people that love the Lord, people that are willing to come together in spite of their circumstances, people that love their under-shepherd as he's sitting in prison. And Paul, the only thing he can think about is not wanting them to be discouraged because of anything happening to him, but to them to do what? To count it all joy, to rejoice, to be steadfast in the Lord. That's my heart's desire for you all this morning as well. That's why I do believe the timing of this is very important. I can't tell you why yet, but I do believe it's very important for us to hear and understand. So Lydia's baptized, the Philippian jailer's ba baptized, and we see this amazing divine intervention, right? That a sovereign God who controls all of salvation, well, it's really what we read in John chapter 6, isn't it? Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent them draws me. He has drawn us to him. Again, holy and set apart. Again, I encourage you to go back devotionally and read that. Well, let's get into our first verse of Philippians, okay? How about that? But we have context, don't we? We now know about the people we're reading about. That's everything. When we read this now, now we know these are real people and real circumstance and real apostle and pastor Paul. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ. That means doulos, willingly slaves to God. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops, that's the Greek for the word overseer, leader, pastor, elder, and deacons, those that wait tables or those that come by, and uh, many deacons in here that cut the lawn, that work the bathroom facilities, uh, take care of the water, so many things. Do you, do you all have, I mean, I know before I was an under-shepherd in a church, especially a church that's growing like this church of medium size, I, have, I had no idea what was all involved in the work. And, and so many of you are part of that. Our worship team, the people that come out and Thursday nights, they're practicing and, the, and they're, they're making sure that when they come, there's no distraction so you could be led into worship of the Lord. People that come on Monday, you know, the bread ministry, and they stand out there and they, they don't just say, here's bread, here's bread. No, they, they stop. How are you doing today? What's the Lord doing in your life? Do you know Jesus? By the way, I want to give you this bread, but I want to give you the bread of life. It's going to return X-fold. This you will hunger again. But what I give you, you will never hunger or thirst again. The bread of life. People, they, they go, they, nobody knows who they are, most of us, unless we're serving in that ministry. Right now, we need help in teacher's ministry, in children's ministry. We need teachers. If the Lord's calling you and raising you up, 
help. We need that. We don't want the same people shouldering that burden all the time. Let's share that opportunity of serving. If, if you've prayed about it, go see uh, Kelly or Tammy in the church office and pray about, you know, we have two services. You can attend one and serve in the other. You don't have to do it every Sunday or every Wednesday, but but you get we're part of the body of Christ. How is God have you doing that? The other thing that we see in just the first verse is that this is an established work. This isn't just a Bible study. We've got pastors, we've got elders there, we've got deacons, we've got the Lord has birthed the church in Philippi in such a short period of time, 10 years. 10 years later, he wrote this epistle to them. 30 years after Christ ascended into heaven, God birthed this work, the first church in Europe. With God, all things are possible. That's why I know there is work to be done in this city. If you think this is what the Lord has, you have not seen anything yet. There is work to be done in this city. God is going to reach many for his name, for his glory. Many are going to come in and be discipled because they're not getting the word of God anywhere else. And they're starting to think, is there anybody else? They're having Elijah moments. They're on mountainsides. They're sitting there going, I'm the only one left. There's no other. Until God goes, "Uh, Elijah, uh, I have thousands in this city. Oh, I thought I was the only one. But sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? I know it feels like that. God's given us a time. I don't know how much longer. I really, really don't. I don't say that flippant. I don't say that just because that's Christianese. I, I, I'm aware of the things happening around me. I study the word of God four or five hours a day, every day. I, I, this is what I do. And I'm seeing things that are fulfilled in scripture like never before. I know he's coming. I can't tell you the time or the hour, but I know he's coming soon. Because otherwise, his bride would go through the tribulation as bad as things are getting. And he says in very clearly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the church should not be given unto wrath. God's not grammatically challenged. So I'm ready and I'm willing and I pray you're with me in this. Because we have neighbors and community and everybody around us that we don't know where they are. Or maybe you have friends at work that are sitting online and they're being isolated and they don't even have ability to connect with other people. And, and they long for fellowship. Invite them out. That's what caused us to have two services and now looking for more land is because you all invited your friends. Keep doing it. Because that's the best thing you can give them is the word of God. It'll never return void. Even when you sit here and think you're not getting anything from it. Oh, you are. You are. God always gets his man or woman. Well, so obviously from that first verse, we can clearly identify that the Philippians was written by Paul or inspired by the Holy Spirit, but penned by Paul, if I can say it that way, along with the help of who? It's important, Timothy. Timothy's listed there for a reason, okay? The dating of this writing, if you go back to Acts chapter 28, verses 30, 31, you know that was Paul when he was in prison. So that helps us because that gives us some certainty under house arrest. That means that he was waiting for his court appearance with Caesar, uh, Nero, Caesar Nero to be specific. That means it has to be dated, just for understanding when Nero was, uh, it has to be AD 61, right in that time frame. 
This has us back into many of the other epistles we read and know our dating from this as well. Not only that, but it helps us also back into the dating of Revelation. So no Revelation must be around 80, 90 to 95. We can back into these things. And if it wasn't just Acts chapter 16, if that wasn't enough, we can see from 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to turn there quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Look what he says as he speaks to this church that does have sin issue. Chapter 8, verse 1, he speaks to them about the Philippians. He says the church is in Macedonia. Okay? Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial, please see that, they were under trial, they were under affliction, that the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. They were living out their faith. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were free willing. They were all in. Imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift of the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. Can you imagine that? Somebody having to beg the pastor, we have an offering, come pick it up because we need to get it to Jerusalem. Instead of today, which is most of us are fleeced because we hear about these pastors that describe God as bankrupt. As though if you don't give your next dollar, somehow God's going out of business. I mean, what a lie from the pit of hell. That's fleecing sheep. That's not what the word of the Lord teaches us. That's something God does. We, you don't hear us stand up here and beg for money. We, you know, we've never done that. Why? Because I've got no business. I got no business in that. You're worshipers. That's between you and Jesus. You know what you're called to do. You read the same scripture I do. You're faithful. And I have to say that the Lord has met every one of our need here whenever we've had a need. I'm waiting to see what he's going to do about this land. And the, I'm like, okay, Lord, it's got a little bigger here now. I mean, now we're talking six, seven hundred thousand. How are you going to do it, Lord? And watch. God will do it. And I'll sit back and go, God, forgive me, ye little faith. I love when I talk to my brothers, Pastor Joe Foch and all, Chris Swanson. You know, when they talk as the Lord was growing and doing the work, he's like, yeah, we were there. We watched it. And then we just sat back and went, but it's God, and he gets the glory for that. He gets the glory for that. No man can touch the glory of God. But look what Paul's saying. He's drawing this attention that they're all in in every way, not only in their prayer life, not only with the giving of their hands and the things they were willing to do, but their offerings, their worship unto the Lord, they were committed. And look at this. He says, and not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Do you see that? It was free will. It wasn't persuasion. It wasn't some type of, you know, lathering it up to coerce them to do these things. No, these were just spirit-filled believers that knew and understand the calling of the kingdom of God. And they wanted to be a part of it in whatever capacity. Some of you, you know, the Lord's called you and maybe uh, you, you help out with the bathrooms and you make sure the bathrooms are clean and sanitized so that when people come in, they're safe. Praise God, that's, that's an important ministry. That's just as important, if not more important than what I do here. It's the same ministry of God. Not one office is better than the, we have ladies that serve in the, the, the ministry in the office. They, they don't make what most secretaries make in the world. 
you know, in the, in the corporate. No, they, this is ministry to them. They're there that when somebody calls or people come in, they can minister in Christ. They can meet the needs. They can set up appointments. They can make sure all of the needs, the school and everybody, the teachers and what they need. And the teachers here at the school, we, we try to make the tuition as low as we can for the, so we can just basically cover the teacher's salary. That's all we do. We don't want to profit. That's not for us to touch. I'm not touching that. That's the Lord. I don't want, we just cover the church's the teacher's salary, I mean. That's it. And that's the way we've always done things here. You know? That's what he's talking about here at Philippi. This was what was happening in Philippians. He says, not only as we hoped, but, and then he goes, so we urge Titus that he had begun, that he, is, he had begun, he would also complete the grace in you as well. So they went there, and Titus was also talking about the grace of God and the Holy Spirit that they would receive that grace and receive that peace and receive that love that would come upon them and that they would begin to rest in Christ and enjoy their Christian walk, even though the battle is difficult and overwhelming at times. That's what we see from chapter 2, verses 8 through 1, 6. And, and unlike others, Paul's others writing, I believe, again, like I said, First and Second Thessalonians and Philemon, other than that, Every other epistle, Paul has to defend who he is, which tells us that the Philippians were also willing to receive Paul and the word of God without this need for Paul to defend himself or to fight that fight. I think that's important. Paul's not dealing with sin issues. Although, again, you're going to read in chapter 4, there's two ladies. He does have to, little little prescriptive correctiveness there. But other than that, you know, but comparatively, little said about any doctoral error they had, anything like that. And Paul also wanted to make sure he acknowledges we just read, and, and you can read also in chapter 4, verses 10 through 18, this, the gift that they were able to raise up to bring to Jerusalem, right? By the apostle and by this Aphroditus, one of the brethren, that furthered the work in the kingdom of God, right? Philippians chapter 1 Verse 21, if I can leave you with five, you have them on the back of your, your outline. If I can leave you with these five, and then we'll close here for today. And next week, we'll go line by line, through the, just like we normally do through the rest of Philippians. And get ready to get your socks knocked off, man. Because the Lord is speaking for us just at such a time as this, in this book, this word of encouragement, going through oppression and affliction and suffering and finding joy and rejoicing in it, and finding the strength and power in Christ through it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We'll understand that more when we, read this, when we finish this book. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, But whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, I shared in my introduction, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say it again, rejoice. Please take that into your week here. Rejoice. Do you have thanksgiving in your heart for your salvation and for one another? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And we'll read that in context. There's so many times this is taken out of context. But we'll read it in context. Do not be anxious for anything but in everything by prayer. And you might have petition, supplication. Uh, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And may the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4, verse 13. 
And if there's one thing you walk out of here, and I mean it, I'm, I'm speaking to all your eyes and your hearts right now. With everything we've endured in these last few years, with the, you know, I think out of, other than Israel, I can't think of another people group that has been so afflicted and persecuted other than the Christians. And yet all we want to do is love, help, and support those, draw those people to Jesus. And so many consider us an offense because we offer truth and we don't want to compromise. Even while they're in sin, we love them and meet them there and are wanting to bring them out of that through Christ Jesus. But it's still not enough. In our jobs, in our jobs, we're often the scapegoat. We're the one that gets persecuted. In our families, we're the Bible thumpers. Meanwhile, we never take out our Bible and thump a single person in malice. All we want to do is love them to Jesus and offer them the hope that lies within us. Think of your brothers and sisters that may not know Christ. Think of a mom and dad or a grandpa or grandma or a grandson or granddaughter. All you want for them is what you know to be true because you've experienced it and seen it with your own eyes and you want that very thing to them. But either because of naivety or because of immaturity, they haven't experienced that yet. And you want to say, wake up. But you can't do that because it has to be done in free will. Just think about all the oppression and affliction you deal with every day. So much so that you wonder, can I keep going on? Can I keep going on? Can I keep going? Well, I have a word for you from Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Write this in your Bibles. Write this in the tablet of your hearts. And I don't care what we go through in this upcoming months, years, until Jesus comes. Don't you ever forget this. And you remember God spoke this to your heart, no matter what you are to endure. I can do everything, not some things, but everything through him who gives me strength. You say that over and over again. I can do everything. If we're put in prison, if we're persecuted, even up to martyrdom, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul understood that. You have to remember, please, he's in prison. We look back 2020 and we can say, oh, this is easy. He's going to be released and then he'll be martyred later. Paul didn't know that. Caesar Nero was a madman. He murdered three of his wives, his own mother, potentially his father and his children. He was a madman. He had no idea if Paul was going to be called one day in and beheaded. It's not like Paul knew what was going to happen tomorrow when he was writing Philippians. It was in spite of that that God met him in the trial. He didn't pray himself out of the trial. He was thankful to be in that trial because he knew he was in the will of God and he knew because of that all things, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I believe it's what kept Paul going and it's what keeps you and I going this morning.
Amen? Let's stand. You can look through the outline on the rest of your, uh, your pamphlet there. You could see it. It's, it's obviously Christian life, rejoicing, spite of suffering, chapter 1, 8 through 30. You can see Christian, Christ, the Christian pattern. We're going to be talking about that in chapter 2. You can see Christ, the object of the Christian faith. We're going to talk about that in chapter 3. And then Christ, our strength. You're going to see that in chapter 4. I can't wait. I've been oh, so excited about this study for the days we're living because I know there are people in here that will endure suffering and hardship. And this word will be that very thing that carries you through that otherwise you might have given up hope. But now you never will because you know the truth and that truth will set you free. Father, I thank you for your holy word. As you speak, Lord, from my lips to their hearts, God, may this all be true. If there are anything from me here this morning, may it fall away. May man be a liar. But God, if you speak to your hearts, seal this into their hearts this morning, Lord Jesus, that they may never forget you are our hope and strength. And through you, all things are possible. Jesus, I believe that. I believe that as our, our brother Kevin is going to be going in for a procedure. I believe that, Lord. And I pray you will be with him. You will heal him. God, go before him. And I pray, God, you'll go before Keith and Renee and everybody else right now in the flock that needs prayer, Lord. Thank you that you have knit together a flock, Lord, and you've knit my hearts to these people and to, them to my heart. May we grow closer to you, Jesus, together. May we be the salt and light in this city, in this area. And may we be faithful and found faithful till you come, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We lift you up now, Lord. In your truth, in your holy name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you. I love you. And I hope to see you all at 2 p.m. Even if it's just for a half an hour, come on out with us and be together. All right? God bless you. I love you.